Welcome to Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. My guests today are Martin Seidel, Thomas Miner, and Kent Iverson from the newly formed Austrian Audio Company. First of all, the face of radio is really changing. It's going to be changing fast in the near future. iHeartRadio, which used to be known as Clear Channel, has 850 stations in the United States alone, plus stations in Australia, New Zealand, and Canada. The problem is the company is $20 billion in debt. Now, iHeartRadio is owned by two private equity groups, Bain Capital and Thomas Lee Partners. And what they did was they decided they're going to acquire as many radio stations and as many radio groups as they could. And this was in the early 2000s when this began to happen. So they bought all of these stations and groups at the height of the market. Now, like with a lot of companies that we've seen, especially one which I've talked about recently, going into debt to acquire other companies or to acquire assets many times doesn't work out. And this is one of those cases where now all of a sudden it's a huge conglomerate, huge station group. But the big problem is when you're $20 billion in debt and can't pay off your debts, and in fact, they're having trouble making payroll, that's a big problem. Yes, what's happening is iHeartRadio is running out of cash. And as a result, has to restructure its debt. But the big problem is most of the debtors are saying, uh, don't think so. So what this looks like is iHeartRadio will probably have to go into bankruptcy. And most likely that means that a lot of these station assets are going to be sold off. Why is this a good thing? Well, ultimately, I think what will happen is there'll be a lot of stations that will go to other station groups that have the money to be able to do something and hopefully something creative with them. Radio is in the doldrums right now, and even though everybody listens to it, the number of listeners isn't all that terrible, and for the amount of time they're listening isn't all that terrible, but the advertising dollars are going down very, very fast, and basically listeners are kind of disgruntled with the whole thing. The reason why is if you listen to radio, AM or FM, and any of the most popular stations anyway, we're not talking about NPR or anything like that, when you begin to listen for a while, you find out that they have these commercial pods, which last for six and seven minutes. And boy, they're a drag. And now it's getting to the point where now they can't even fill the commercial pods with commercials. So you're getting a lot of PSAs or public service announcements as a result. So you find that many former listeners are now beginning to listen to online radio or they're beginning to listen to Spotify or app music or any of the other alternatives instead, which is not good for radio. So this may be the first shoe to drop in big radio. Big radio is owned by big money. But if they're not making big money, I think you might start to see that some reasonable owners, some reasonable investors come in and really make a change in radio. Or at least I have my fingers crossed that that's going to be happening because Radio is just not working the way it is right now, and it's only going to get worse before it gets better. If you have any questions or comments, 
Send in the questions at bobbyownercircle.com. The second edition of my social media promotion for Musicians Handbook is now available on Amazon, iBooks, Ingram, and a bookstore near you. It's the manual for marketing yourself, your brand, and your music online and covers how to use virtually every important online platform for promotion. Also, check out my courses at bobbyosinskicourses.com. I want to talk about microphone stands for a little bit. Microphone stands are very, very low tech. They're not very sexy to talk about, but the fact of the matter is we all own at least one. If you're a musician, you probably own a microphone stand or two or three or ten if you have a studio. If we go back and we look at the history of microphone stands, that part of the industry was pretty much dominated by one company for a long time, and that's Atlas Sound. And Atlas Sound made a variety of microphone stands, just about a microphone stand for every application that you can think of. The only problem is they got complacent and everything, and nothing changed for years and years, even though some of the products, especially like the boom stands, were very, very inferior. One exception to this is there was a company that made really fantastic boom stands here in California called Starbird. And those are the ones that you found in most of the film studios and you found them in most of the big recording studios because they were really the best as far as boom stands were concerned and certainly beat the ones that Atlas Sound were making at the time. That being said, it took a long time before any competitors came on the scene. And one of the first was K&M out of Germany. And they were distributed by AKG for a long time. K&M made the best boom stands and probably still do. Their boom stands are pretty fantastic. And even though they're more expensive, you got a better product. And this was the first serious competitor to Atlas. But by the 90s, all of a sudden, we started to get more and more competitors. Ultimate Support, Latch Lake. There was a lot of different ones that came in. They didn't quite ever get the market share of Atlas, and Atlas has never quite gone away, but there are more and more getting into it. Most recently, three or four years ago, a company called Triad Orbit got into the business, and Triad Orbit came out of the auto business in Detroit. So he had some people that really knew metalwork and knew it well and could take it to the next level. And in fact, these stands are pretty fantastic. And they came up with some things like, for instance, dual arm booms and a dual snare mic where with one stand you can do both under and over the top of the snare, things like that. Very innovative and built like a tank. It's one of those things that you spend a premium amount for a stand from Triad Orbit. But the fact of the matter is, it will live in your studio and never break for not only the rest of your life, but probably your kid's life and your grandkid's life as well. These things are just made so well. So I recently saw that Tascam and Shure were coming out with microphone stands as well. And it made me wonder, where were you guys all this time? Where were all these other manufacturers? Where was like Audio-Technica and all of this? You would think that it would be natural for a microphone company to come out with a microphone stand. That didn't really happen. AKG, of course, which we're going to talk more about in a little bit, saw the light on this and they licensed K&M. But it just seems like it was an opportunity lost for a lot of companies for a lot of years. And now it's probably too late. Granted, it's a very low-tech industry. It's all brute force and microphone stands are heavy. But on the other hand, it's something that every musician, every studio, every engineer, everybody in the business requires. And not only do they require one, but usually many more as well.
Recently, Harman International decided to close the AKG Vienna operation, which was a real shame after 70 years of being an industry leader in transducer technology. Usually a closure like that means that a lot of good people and industrial knowledge disappear, but not in this case. The good news is that the basic engineering and marketing core of AKG has restarted as Austrian audio, and new designs and products are expected soon. I spoke with CEO Martin Seidel, CTO Thomas Miner, and head of marketing and PR Kent Iverson via Skype from Vienna, where they laid out their plans for the new company. Tell me about the launch of Austrian audio. When did you officially launch? When did AKG come to an end? Well, this is basically two different dates because uh, when did uh, Austrian Audio official launch? I mean, completely official when you were registered in the Austrian authority books, it was uh, early June 2017. So I think it was the 9th of June, if I'm correct I'm sorry, right yeah. now. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's the, the official of the company when it was registered as a GmbH, so what you call a limited uh, company. And uh, we started our operation in this office 1st of July. When did you know that the end was near for AKG? Was this something that was a surprise or did you see it coming? Well, you know, it's uh, <laughs> a very wide question, to be honest. Uh, did we see it coming? I mean, a lot of things happened over the last really, I would say, five years already. Uh, you know, a lot of changes, consolidations, all the different sites uh, were brought together. Part of the of the of the talents were were consolidated. Like um, um, financing was consolidated at one side. Uh, sourcing and then purchasing was uh, you know consolidated. So things happened all the time. Actually, it was pretty clear that um, that basically what would remain as, as AKG headquarters in Vienna was basically the product management and the R&D department. And that's, that was, I think, what everybody thought until, um, well, officially last September, so a little bit more than a year now, when the official announcement came out uh, by Harman that they will close uh, Vienna's factory and offices and so all the headquarters, we will let go all the people that worked here. So all the R&D, all product management, all sales marketing, and, and, and all the supportive uh, departments. So it's not easy to start a company. And it's especially not easy to start a company when another one is closing and keeping those people intact. How did you manage that? That's quite a feat, I think. Yeah, you're right. Well, you, you are right. It was a task. Uh, you know, Thomas and I, we know each other since many, many years. Uh, uh, Thomas was heading the R&D department at AKG. I was heading the sales department globally at AKG for many years. So we knew each other. Yeah, And I, I think I can, um, it's really a lot about the, the personal context that the, two, that the two of us kept all the time. And also the personal context that, that we kept the R&D team to the product management marketing team. So um, even after after we left, the two of us left AGT. I mean, we were all we were all like a big family and always kept in touch and met each other from from on a regular basis. And so once we knew, I mean, we we spread the idea rather fast, so that that people were uh, caught fire with, with this idea. Yeah, I, w- I would I would like to add, it's really it's really. I think we inspired people uh, because to. to Maybe to clarify this a little bit, 
Thomas and I were not there anymore when the company was closed. Ah. So uh, we left earlier. Uh, I left maybe. even three years ago, and, and Thomas left a year later. Maybe then. maybe that was good because we could look at the whole story yes. from a more relaxed uh, position. Yes, we looked from outside. Yeah. We heard when we were outside doing other things. And so we were not directly involved and shocked and ran around uh, like, what are we going to do next? It was really more, uh, what the hell is going on with this, uh, you know, our beloved old company? And, uh, and we were pretty organized in sitting together, Thomas and I, and trying to, to, to discuss what could be done, who could be partners, who could be customers, who could be investors. And frankly, we, we started that early and I must say pretty efficient so that when we approached the team at AKG uh, with a plan, we had a firm plan. We could tell them what's the financing, what's the plans, what will be the next two to three years. And, and here is a complete project. It's not just an idea. Mm -hmm. And I think that was also the big differentiator to all the other ideas that came out during this time, because it's a natural that people come up with this idea. Yes, we're going to do something ourselves. And we also said that, but um, we already had a plan. We had a solid, uh, solid background financing and all these things. Well, the financing is the key because especially with a large crew like that, you can't keep it going unless you have some money. Did you have orders for something that financed it or was there a financial backer? In principle, yes, you can say so. We had a big customer who committed uh, to orders and to, to projects he wanted to do with us. Yeah, I mean, basically, you, you need to look at Austrian oil currently as a, as a split company, if you want to say so. I mean... Basically, the one thing is we're working on our, uh, you know, setting up, building up, roadmap, uh, visions, missions. On the other hand, of course, we have to bring money in. So we are working as an ODM uh, uh, R&D team as well. Uh, and uh, in, in that function, we do have commitment and customers where we have uh, ongoing work to do. Yeah, I was going to ask you if you consider yourself a manufacturer or an engineering entity, but I guess you're both at this point. Well, we're both. Uh, currently, we are engineering and, and R&D, uh, but uh, I mean, we can't say too much, but we can say that much that you will see products with a brand of Austrian Audio and we will be the manufacturer. And is manufacturing going to be done in-house uh, or is it going to be done like everyone else does it overseas and then um, maybe quality control in-house? You know, I think that the Part of this great tradition in Austria is this made in Austria of some things. And, and we all know if you want to sell a headphone from 1995, you can't do that. But if you want to make some serious products for the pro audio industry, and if you want to, uh, you know, to make sure that the quality is under your control and that you can quickly maneuver if something has to be done, uh, we decided internally that some of the technical sophisticated product needs to be made in austria that's what we're going to do do you see yourself staying in the transducer business so to speak or going outside of it transducer meaning microphones headphones the traditional akg major products um definitely it's a starting point yes but definitely we're also going to to, to look outside of this this area everything that's connected with it 
I mean, there's so, such a lot of developments going on in, in, in this area, all that, that that's connected with sound, with, uh, with headphones, especially the 3D sound that is coming, 3D uh, recording. And so, so this is touching not only the transducer, but also the, the whole algorithm that's, that's, that's connected to it. The, the transmission methods connected to it, and so so this is the area you can imagine where we where we definitely spread out our our uh, field. Noise canceling is to clean up. Yeah, let's go there for a second. So transducers really haven't changed much in a hundred years. Basic idea of analog. You don't agree? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the main um, they're always companies and researchers that experimenting with, with new principles. Um, but maybe maybe there's also a good reason why it has, hasn't changed a lot from, from the basic principle. I mean, um, but there are new materials all the time. There are new manufacturing me methods, especially with, with, with more precision. And um, this is the way how, how these, these, let's say, the moving coil uh, transducers continuously improved over time. I mean, they're radical. I know that uh, there are many radical other concepts people are playing around with, um, with electrostatic or orthodynamics or, or piezo or laser microphones and other stuff like that. It, 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 it didn't really make it to a, to a big commercial success. Maybe, uh, maybe there's a good reason for it that, that, uh, that the moving coil principle uh, made its way, yeah. But you you never know. We are we are uh, let, we're let, looking let, around and we're we're finding if there's other options. Yeah, we are. Let, let me put it that way. We are open. We have our ears and eyes also in other projects, which are technology-driven projects that deal with different driver technologies. So we have a project going on on that. So we are mm -hmm. not blind that there are things mm -hmm. happening left and right. But um, currently, our focus is on the moving coil transducer, optimizing it, and uh, also, you know, you could say um, combining this analog uh, moving coil world with uh, a lot of um, digital options which are coming our way. Combining different coils, combining different, uh, you know, uh, interfaces. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. How important is DSP in today's world for what you're doing? Is this something that's just naturally incorporated into all products going forward? Well, obviously, it is incorporated in any form of, of wireless microphones as anyway, right? And then, uh, uh, yes, of course, it will be, especially if you think of um, headphones, for example, and if you think of uh, a world of uh, uh, virtual uh, realities and 3D sound, then DSP becomes a major factor. Well, what do you think about immersive audio? How important is that for the future? That's an interesting question. I mean, there's people are expecting a lot from that. Uh, and they're, the big guys, I mean, they're all working on, on concepts on, on VR, augmented reality, mixed reality. Um, we saw that, um, that um, Google Glass was not successful, but maybe others, other concepts are. On the other side, there's also these concepts are around for, 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 for quite a long time. So it, 
therefore I'm saying it's it's interesting. I think there is there is huge potential in it. Yeah. And in 3D audio, there uh, were also a lot of improvements in the, in the past. And as you said, connected with the, with the strength of signal processing that's available now for, for, for decent prices and with, with enough um, 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 processing power. So I, I think it can be done. There are good, there are good things around. And um, for most of these virtual reality things, uh, the video, the picture is quite good already. I think sound is still lacking behind, and uh, and this is definitely an area where where we where we want to contribute and yeah. and 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 boost the boost the sound so that you get a real uh, image and, and a convincing impression. Well, how so quite lengthy? Oh, yes, we're looking into it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the engineering question, the engineering answer. Yeah. How important is the capture of immersive audio as opposed to doing it in post, creating an immersive sound field in post. That, that's the area where we're currently, the most things are happening, yeah? I mean, we're coming from, from, from Dolby Digital 5.1, 7.1, that's around for quite some time. That's a, that's a, 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 a source-based, you know, um, that's a speaker source-based uh, surround system, yeah? I think. And of course, if you now do other loudspeaker arrays, yeah, um, in a circle, more loudspeakers, if you do um, headphones or headphones with more speakers and things like that, I mean, the source material is not prepared for that. Yeah? Mm. So I think the way forward is definitely to, to go for, um, um, and that is called a, a source-based, um, not a speaker-based, but a source-based uh, 3D sound. So where the, where the signal contains the signal itself and the information of direction, and then let the playback system figure out how this is best processed so that you get the real image. So then you can, you can use any source material for any playback uh, system. I think this is the way to go forward, and um, definitely we are supporting this. Back to Austrian audio for a second. Do you see the pro audio category as your major customer, or are you looking beyond that? Uh, well, we are definitely looking. Well, we need to be careful. Uh, it's our our heritage. That's where we're coming from, and we definitely will uh, strive for sound that comes from the pro audio industry. Are we ending there? No, we're not. Um, there will be uh, projects, or there are already projects going into, uh, well, it's even more difficult to categorize it. Is this lifestyle sound, or is it, is it, is it a consumer, or whatever you want to call it, right? Yeah. Uh, but there are other legs where we have uh, knowledge, because we have a lot of heritage. Uh, please bear in mind, there's automotive, which is becoming still more and more uh, a, a big uh, a big topic, um, and for us in audio, it doesn't matter if a driver is driving or if a computer is driving. For us in audio, it still matters mm -hmm. that the thing sounds in there, that you have an active noise cancelling there, that you have separated uh, entertainment for separated passengers, for example. So that's another field for Austrian audio. And then, uh, you know, we, we also look into... into uh, um, 
what you call consumer headphones on a high level. So we are not looking for competing with another 99.99 uh, headphone that is sold. Uh, I don't know in in we'll change Best Buy or, or whatever, right? So so we are we because we are not big enough to play around with the Sony's and Philips and and, and all these guys in the world, right? Yeah. Um, not yet, at least. Uh, give us another two years. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I think there is, um, there is extremely uh, good knowledge base in-house here uh, for high-end consumer headphones that include um, very um, beneficial features like active noise cancelling at a top level. Um, because uh, that's what the engineers were deeply into in the technology uh, over the last years. And, and again, this technology again uh, sweeps over to uh, pro as well and uh, to automotive well, and probably even to hearing aid. Ah, yeah. Yeah, and earbuds, things like that. We first make very loud headphones that you then buy hearing aids from. <laughs> well, what's interesting to me is the fact that a few years ago you had Beats headphones, which sounded god-awful, and they were getting a premium. And I always ask myself, why doesn't a major pro audio headphone manufacturer actually try to get into that particular end of the business? And it never happened, and Beats was the predominant player for a long time until Apple picked them up. So there's obviously a space there for high-end headphones, but I think it's uh, definitely marketing-driven. It's not one, one of those things that you can just build something that sounds great. There really has to be a big marketing campaign behind it in order to, to reach that kind of a customer. I think you're right. I think uh, this is something to look at. Um, I think not at the stage where Austrianoti right now is. Um, uh, we definitely have the capabilities to, to make uh, headphones that sound good enough. That's not the problem. Um, to do a, a, a very large marketing campaign rolling out like Beats did uh, in the past. Um, I think to copy that, it's nearly impossible because uh, that, you know, that was a model that was done. I think you need to attach some additional benefit to the customer to it. It needs to be either extremely intuitive in, in using it. Uh, you know, do people still want cables? less and less so, yeah. right? Yeah. So I, I think there needs to be, uh, apart from a great ma marketing campaign, I think there needs to be one good idea uh, that, that makes the use of such a next-generation consumer headphones very convenient, very intuitive. Now, I come from the studio background, and I'd say the majority of the people that are listening to this also come from that area. Will you be doing some version of, you know, the studio standards, the uh, classic models of the, the 414s, the 451s, the D12s, things like that? Is that on your agenda? Yes. We won't say more to them. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll throw out, just because I've been uh, addressing this a lot lately. Uh, of course, I mean, Pro Audio is passionate about it. it's kind of you know where we develop all the high-end technology the, the really uh, boundary pushing stuff and we um, 
are developing everything from scratch now. So our own transducers, we're not taking anything you know, from our past and just saying we're taking this design and we know how to make that. So let's put it out again. A, because there are so many copycat products out there already. The market is just flooded. And B, the, the company uh, you know, that was our heritage still exists as a brand and they can still put things out. And, and you know, there's no need to have a, a, a copy of something that they do. So uh, a couple of projects we're looking at now definitely uh, um, take everything these engineers. We got people who've been there here with us for 35 years, their, their history of developing product. Um, taking everything they know and putting it into what we've always wanted to do, which is to push things a little bit ahead instead of incremental revisions to say, where would this classic product be now if we were at free reign? And now we do. So um, I think especially in the uh, input transducer realm, that would be the microphones for pro audio, there will be uh, some interesting surprises coming out. But again, we're developing everything from scratch, you know, PCB layout, component choice. We're working on the, um, the actual capsules and everything from right from how we always wanted to do it from the ground up. So we have a nice modern platform from which to extend everything. Well, please think, think of it a little bit like, you know, you mentioned it before. There are these classic products, right? But as it happens in large corporations, the thinking was less, how can we improve the products, but how can we outsource them to make them a little bit more cost efficient? How can we save some money? How can we make profit, more profit? This is how large corporations have to work. And that's how, of course, even engineering had to follow. Now we are free in a position to go the other way around to say, okay, um, yes, we've learned how you can outsource and, and, and outsource uh, manufacturing to best cost countries and, and all the rest by staying or uh, continuing your quality. And it happened. It, it was a big task, but it happened. But I think the major effort was into sustaining the current quality and saving money. What we are doing right now is we are pushing the technology and trying to make there some progress. You said before it's a very traditional thing and it's, you know, transducers, 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 but I think there is, and Thomas will, I think, confirm, as he said before, materials, there are new materials coming every year uh, which allow us, uh, you know, even thinner materials, lighter weight materials where you can get a faster uh, response, uh, you know, so that makes you you can push the limits a little further, something that did not happen too much in the past. And I think that's a, it's a great way forward for us to push quality up. Well, how do you, you guys as a, a legacy manufacturer because of, of the breadth of the products and the length of time that you've been making them, how do you look at today's clone microphone manufacturers? Do you look at them and do you think, well, wow, these guys make a really inferior product, or do you look at them and say, that's not too bad? Generally, how, do, how does that come down for you? I think second one. These are not too bad, yeah. yeah I'd say case by case, but, um, you know, the quality you can get these days, the value for money is, is amazing. Yeah. It's absolutely yeah. amazing. Yeah. But, um, we are coming from a... From a professional uh, background and there's much more requirements uh, connected to these products than 
simply provide a good perform, a good good mm. frequency response, good noise level, and so. I mean, we know these guys in the studios who who were like you who work with these things on a day by day basis. So it's it's um, there are a lot of other re- requirements. It has to be stable over a wide temperature range and humidity yeah. and humidity and, and moisture uh, yeah. and and also the the, the, the directivity that the, the, the simply simply that the handling. Um, you name it, and um, I think there's still a, a huge potential where we can differentiate mm-hmm. our products versus the, yeah. the copy things. But but honestly, yeah, we we we're not um, we're not neglecting them. We're appreciating that they're that they're quite good. Um, but we'll find ways how we can do better. <laughs> there, there's so many little details like is the mic body resonant? Do do you think about that in advance or on stage or for TV, is do you need a matte microphone? A lot of them are silver and shiny, and that might be inappropriate for a professional stage production. There's so many tiny little little details that, as a professional manufacturer, you know who, who the customer is in a great, really fine-tuned way. But again, you know, um, um, we're definitely not arrogant uh, and saying what they're doing is crap. They are doing a good job. Okay. But what, and I think that the story goes pretty well along with what I said before is uh, um, what you call the outsource manufacturing or the copying what happens wherever is is a copying right now. So if we would continue doing what we have been done the last years, I think it would be a wrong way. We now set the new standards and they will be copied in a few years probably. Yeah, that's fine. But, uh, but I think to push the limits is not what these manufacturers do. They don't push the limits. One of the things that I find interesting in some of the, the copy makers is the fact that it all depends on the microphone that you're trying to copy. And if you don't have a good one to copy, then in fact, you're coming up with an inferior product. So that's one of the big problems. The spe- specific specimen that they're copying? Yes. And that yeah, something yeah, like how yeah, many C12 yeah. clone, uh, clones are there out there, right? Yes. And then do they have a good example? of a C12. I mean, I, I used to work at the hit factory. We had a huge mic cabinet there and we knew which ones were the duds. <laughs> yeah. That's why everyone writes the serial numbers down. Like, that one's a good one. You keep, you know. So true. If, if you just say, we're going to make a C12 clone, but you, this is the first C12 you've heard. How do you know it's one of the good ones? Yeah. Good. That's a, that's a good point. Yeah. What's your reference model? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. How many, I should have asked you this up front. How many people are in the company right now? 21. How many are engineers? Uh, 17. Yeah. Wow. Definitely an engineering driven company, but that's, yeah. that's great <laughs> as it should be. Okay. Last question. I usually ask this of everybody. It's a little off the subject, but actually it isn't for you guys. I think it's, it's more right on from starting up Austrian audio. I'm sure you've learned a lot about business. What is the best piece of business advice or the best lesson that you learned in starting Austrian Audio? Did somebody give you a piece of advice that was really important, or did you just learn something? Oh, there are so many lessons. <laughs> <laughs> so many lessons learned over the last month. You know, it's not yeah. that long ago, and you learned a lot. Um, Keep friendly with your IT person. <laughs> <laughs> I messed that one up already. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's, it's 
the, it's the people that counts. It's the people. It's the t- people and the team spirit. Yeah, I mean, of course it is, but that's not another lesson learned, probably. About the Vietnamese. You would be really amazed what the people are doing around here. You know, I mean, uh, these are all very skilled acousticians and, and 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 mechanical engineers and software developers and, and electronic guys. And and you know, when we came to this office, uh, everybody turned up with a screwdriver and a hammer, and we started to build these offices. And you know, it's kind of a good spirit. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think that's what Thomas referred that's what, to. That's what I'm saying. It it is, it's a lesson learned in the way that we have expected it. That if you pick, pick this, the right people, if you pick the right people with the right team spirit and put them into a new ecosystem with a new with a new inspiration, that the that the, the outcome will be much more than what whatever was possible before. And I think that the lesson learned is that it worked out how we how we expected it. Were you surprised at how quickly it came together? A little bit. A little bit, yeah. That all the people they gave us a yes. Yeah. It was interesting when yeah. we when we first sent out, you know, to all our friends, uh, kind of an announcement that we are giving an evening where we want to introduce project, right? And we sent out thirty invitations, and twenty nine people turned up. Wow. So this was kind of, you know, you would expect, you know, some people saying, oh yeah, yeah, well, you know, why should we go there? But it's really, I mean, was this was really amazing, and um, so that was um, that, that all the people had the same or could could feel our inspiration and could could uh, could see what's what's possible, and and you can imagine, as Thomas mentioned in the beginning, there were some ideas around, and there were some companies, of course, trying to to get hold of some of the people because they are specialists here and they are engineers here and, and they got other offers, but uh, they preferred to stay in the team and do something on, 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 on their own together with, with the team. And I think another lesson learned really is that remain flexible. I really think, uh, you know, there are coming things your way which you had written down in your plan uh, differently and, 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 and there come other ideas to the table uh, where you thought you probably have thought it all through, but uh, I see it, it. It was the most important thing to see the last two months really as a large brainstorming session. Never say no from the beginning. Always say yes and evaluate later if it's a good idea. But I think that brings so much more ideas to the table. Different to you have a plan, you follow it strictly. It might be a good plan, but it doesn't allow too many ideas to the table. And I think. The best lesson I've personally, for me, learned is, you know, you sit here and you have a clear picture how it's going to be, and somebody opens the door and comes with a completely different idea. And don't allow yourself to say, oh, no, no, I've thought about it, but say, okay, yes, that might be a different idea and and, and a different way to do it. I think that's for starting up, if you don't have big departments, you know, where everything goes automatically well anyway or is organized i think that's for me the largest lesson learned is really follow ideas no matter if they come from the right department or not because i think the best ideas come from the wrong department (laughs) (laughs) that's great advice this is very exciting i'm very happy for you guys good luck martin thomas kent thank you and i hope to speak with you again soon hopefully in person We'll come see you there. And thank you very much for giving us the opportunity here.
To find out more about Austrian Audio, go to austrian.audio. There's no .com or anything in this. This is austrian.audio, A-U-D-I-O. Or you can find them on Facebook or LinkedIn. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyowinnercircle.com. To listen to other episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to bobbyosinski.com and select the podcast tab, or go to bobbyowinnercircle.com or find it on iTunes, Stitcher, Mixcloud, and Google Play. At bobbyosinski.com and bobbyowinnercircle.com, you'll also find a sign-up form for my newsletter for alerts for new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time. Oh,